This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church Podcast. For more information about us, who we are, or how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. We're ready to go. Uh, Ephesians 2 was last week, so if we're going to follow logic, we'll do Ephesians chapter 3. Very good. Some of you follow along well. Others can catch up. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, the beauty that comes from your grace, uh, the joy of knowing that in spite of who we are, you still love us and you rescued us. And along with St. Paul, uh, allow us your Holy Spirit that we can continue to celebrate the joy and the good news that only you can give. Amen. Okay. Any questions from the uh, first two chapters that we looked at? Anything we need to revisit? Revamp. Can't remember that far back. That's good. Neither can I. I'm glad you didn't ask any questions. All right. Chapter 3 is going to kind of build on, obviously, chapter 1 and 2. And the big thing that Paul's going to try to get at in chapter 3 is, uh, again, uh, talk about unity, about all of us being here together. So we're going to do as we have been, and we're going to go verse by verse through Ephesians chapter 3. Are you ready? Again, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. For this reason, well, for what reason? Goes back to what he was talking about in chapter 2. We're united in Christ, no matter who we are. We are united in Christ, whether it's Jew or Gentile. So again, there was a little bit of angst between Jew and Gentile believers, the Jewish some of the Jewish people claiming that the Gentiles would have to follow Old Testament customs. Um, so let's, let's do this. I was going to do this later in the series, but let's do it now. There's three kinds of laws that the Hebrew people had, if you read through the Old Testament. There were laws of legal significance. And, and those were laws that governed them as a nation. So those were their civic laws. We have civic laws too, don't we? Right? Pay your taxes. Don't go more than 25 miles an hour downtown. Right? If your dog does something on someone else's lawn, pick it up. I live on a corner. There's a lot of people who miss that law. Unfortunately, I don't miss it when I cut grass. But... So there's legal laws, then there are ceremonial laws, so some of the ceremonial laws were things like sacrificing, right, that was a ceremonial law, hand washing, dietary restrictions, don't eat pork, right? And then there was moral laws. And most of the time when we think about the moral laws, we think about the Ten Commandments, right? This was Israel as a nation. Now we've got people who are coming to the faith who don't belong at all to this nation group. What we're finding is as Paul's preaching, that 
that Israel no longer exists as Israel. They, they live under Roman rule, right? So these legal doesn't pertain to people who are living out in Ephesus and so forth. The ceremonial, um, well, let's do this. The moral law, that's going to stay, don't you think? Because the moral law is really identified for all people, not just for the Hebrews. The Hebrews obviously emphasized, um, but there were moral laws in, uh, throughout the world. We're born, we're born with a conscience, right? There's two ways we know there is a God. When you look at creation, you say, well, that couldn't just be there. And then in your conscience, I mean, think about this. We know the difference between right and wrong, don't we? And we're, it's innate in us. I mean, if you've ever watched a, a, a two-year-old or a three-year-old and you said, I'm going to leave the room for a moment, I'll be right back. And you left for a moment and you come back and they've got that look. What did you do? I, I, I know do nothing. Okay. What did you do? I know do nothing. Well, then you, you find out that they spilled their soda behind the couch or something. There's this innate understanding of right and wrong. So here's the deal. You cannot have an innate understanding of what's right or what's wrong without someone giving you rules and standards. There must be a higher power that says there is a right and there is a wrong. Today, evolutionists are now talking about the evolution of morality. So when a Christian comes and says, hey, you're born with this understanding of right and wrong, which proves if, you, if there are rules, there has to be a rule maker. You would say. Yeah, we just didn't all of a sudden have the same innate understanding that it's wrong to kill, to steal. Evolutionists today are saying it's there's the evolution of morality and I, I this one's gonna just floor you right which is why we are progressing so far so wonderfully in our morality that we're allowing same-sex unions and abortion that's more moral than where we were 50 years ago that's that's what moral evolutionists are saying okay I got off track sorry the question for the Jews and the Gentiles is this do Gentiles have to follow ceremonial laws? Okay, there's no more legal laws. You don't have to worry about that. Moral law, of course, they have to. But how about these ceremonial laws? Can they eat their pulled pork sandwich? Do they have to have a circumcision? And this became the big, the big question. In Acts chapter 15, we have the very first church council. And it, it came down to this. Ceremonial laws were pointing to the coming of a Messiah. Since the Messiah has come, we don't have to do the ceremonial laws. Can you do them if you want? Of course you can. Right. But you don't have to. So this is Acts 15. So in these early Christian churches that are popping up in places like Thessalonica and Colossae, and Philippi and Ephesus, there's Jews who are there because of the dispersion and they're believing in Jesus, they're Christian Jews, and now that the Gentiles are coming, it's like, uh-oh, what do we do with these people? You know what it's like when, when, 
other people join your church and they've got these ideas that you don't agree with. This is our church. We've got these outsiders coming in telling us that we should actually have a different style of worship. We don't want that. Oh, different color carpeting. God forbid that that happen. <laughs> I think I told you all that someone found our color swatches as we were building this building and they'd, the carpet's blue. Jesus' blood was red. It has to be red carpet. And I said, actually, Jesus was royalty, which makes him a blue blood, so we're okay. Only in England. All right, for this reason, because we're saved by grace and we're united by faith. It's pretty good. Twelve minutes, we got through three words. Good. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus... On behalf of you. So he's a prisoner. He's under house arrest. But he's a prisoner not because of Christ. He's a prisoner of Christ. I really like this because I think what Paul's saying is, you know, (laughs) you people that I've worked among, I think some of you are feeling bad that I'm in prison. And it's kind of of like... I'm confused. uh, So am I. Don't worry. Um, (laughs) It, it, it's kind of like, oh, maybe they're feeling bad. Oh, if it wasn't for us, poor Paul wouldn't be in prison. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You know who I'm really in prison to? Jesus. I'm, I'm, my life is confined in Christ. And that's a good thing. I consider myself to be possessed by Jesus, not as much punished by Rome. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, my life is in the hands of Jesus. I'm doing everything for Jesus. Later, he tells the the Philippians, you know, anything I've ever gained in my life, I consider it rubbish in in compared to what I have in Jesus. So he's telling these folks, you don't worry about this. God's got it under control. And it's why on behalf of you, it's for your benefit that God has me going through this. Don't worry about it. There's two choices, Paul would say. One, I don't preach at all and you all go to hell. Or I preach the good news and you go to heaven and I just, you know, hang out in prison for a while and then when I die, I go to heaven. So let's not worry about this. Paul says it's a great trade-off. I'm happy to go to prison to share the good news of Jesus, to follow him. Um, On behalf of you Gentiles. What was Paul? A Jew. You know, logically, I think about this. If, if uh, the early Christian church decided to get a consulting agency to figure out how to market their, their, their new corporation, they would have probably recommended that Peter go to the Gentiles and that Paul go to the Jews because Paul was a Jew of Jews, yeah. right? He, oh boy, he was it, and he was a high-ranking Jew, and uh, we're going to see, uh, we're going to turn over to Acts 8 in a little bit, not right now, and we're going to hear Paul talk about wanting to go to the Gentiles. So here, here is one of the highest-ranking Jews in the neighborhood, and he said, I'm going to you Gentiles. And I think that helps prove that Gentiles can easily be absorbed into the body of Christ. No comments yet? 
huh, I'll have to say something controversial. I'm so complete or boring, one or the other. Okay. Verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Okay, assuming that you heard. Well, Paul spent three years with them. It's been five years since he's been there, but he spent a considerable amount of time helping organize the body of believers in the city of Ephesus. You no doubt heard about the stewardship of God's grace given to me. Stewardship is the management. That's really what stewardship is. Steward, when you and I in the church, if, if the pastor got up on Sunday morning and, hey, welcome, today we're going to talk about stewardship. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Ching, ching. Yeah, and stewardship is really the management of something. So Paul is saying that God manages his grace. And in his management of his grace, he gave some to me. The road to Damascus, God comes, turns this enemy of the church in, into one of its greatest missionaries. And why was it given to me? What does Paul say at the end of verse 2? It was given to me for you. Paul says, I'm in prison, don't feel bad, I'm just following the plan. The main part of the plan was that I could share with you the good news of Jesus. That's the plan. And that's still the plan, isn't it? I hope. Yeah, that's the plan. You and I were given faith so that we can pass it on to the next generation or the next door neighbor. That's why we've been given faith. You know, it's, it's the old line. Remember, people would say, hey, keep the faith. I say, no, share the faith. Right? Give it away. The more faith you give away, the stronger yours gets. I, I think this is another thing Paul recognized. Yeah. And, and verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written. I think the briefly written was chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He talked about it at the opening. He says, yeah, I, I kind of hit that already, so if you need to, go back and read it. But the mystery, a mystery is something that's only made known by divine revelation. And Paul would say that you Gentiles have been given this divine revelation through my preaching, but he would also say it's only by divine revelation that our Jewish brothers have come to know the truth of Jesus. So whether you're Jew or Gentile, you're saved the same way, by God's grace and his gift of faith. So he's really trying to show how, how there isn't a big difference between Jew and Gentile. I mean, when you come down to who we are as human beings, we might have different histories, but you're not saved by history. You're saved by his story. That's it. I got to write that one down. Oh, that, 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 that works. Just, that works. Good. Clay, you think that's a good one? I think that's a I think you should put that up behind the altar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, okay. I got my Sharpie. Um, 
Yeah, it was made known. We talked, notice as we read through this, all the passive verbs. It, it, it's about, I was given. It was made known. You're going to hear all these passive verbs. So Paul is simply a recipient, not the instigator of his faith. He's the recipient. You know, a lot of, a lot of religions, people go on their, on their spiritual journeys, right? And I, you could say the Christian life is a spiritual journey, but I'm talking about these people that are going to find the supreme being and in the event they're going to try to find themselves, right? And, and in essence, what Paul's saying is, I didn't go on a journey, God journeyed to me. And that's exactly what happens in the incarnation. God comes down to us. Um, verse 4. So when you read this, when Paul and, and Peter uh, and John sent out letters, they were read publicly. So we could get off on another trail and we could talk about how did the Bible come to be, the New Testament. The writings of the apostles began to be read in churches and they would pass them along. Now remember, a church wasn't like this. They were home churches. So when, when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, it's going from home to home, right? It's going from small group to small group. And as, as they're reading them, they're taking on significance. And then we find in the first century that not only were they reading from the Old Testament, they began reading from the Gospels and the letters. So Paul talks about this reading. It's a public reading. When you read this, you can perceive, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. You'll be able to understand that I'm simply telling you what God first told me. The first session of this study, we talked about the Gnostics. Remember, they had special knowledge and mysteries. And Paul says there's only one mystery. And that's the grace of God, which we cannot fully understand apart from the Holy Spirit's working in our hearts. So... So what Paul wants to do is say, when I talk to you about unity, this isn't my idea. This is who God is. Verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. The sons of men. This is kind of what comes up in Genesis chapter 4, yeah. right? So the, the, the daughters of God, the sons of men. Sons of men is a reference to the unbelieving. So in this case, it would be like Paul saying, in the Old Testament times, the Gentiles had no clue. But now you know. So we don't want the Jews to look at you as if you were the old Philistines or the Hittites. You're one of us now. As it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. It was always part of the plan. It's now more clearly revealed. 
God did not change horses in the midst of spiritual waters. God did not say, you know, maybe I will save the Gentiles. Because the Jewish people, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, their idea of chosen is different than what was taught Abraham. Chosen people. Over the centuries, the Jewish people thought, we're the only ones that are going to be saved. We were the chosen group to be saved. And really what God was saying is, I'm choosing you to be a spokesperson to the world. I'm choosing you to proclaim the good news. Or Jesus would say, to be light and salt. And, and it's been revealed by the apostles and prophets. Old Testament, New Testament. And it only comes by the Spirit. That's it. So Paul's saying, if you have been taught only Jews can go to heaven, and if you really want to try to get in with us, you've got to follow all of our ceremonial laws. And if you think I'm saying the Gentiles can come in without following the laws... This is, this is not my idea. It's been revealed by the Holy Spirit. And it's not a new plan. It's always been the plan. But you go into Jesus' line, there's some non-Jews in there, aren't there? Yeah. You'll find, you'll find people who aren't 100% Jewish in that line. How many of you here are, are like ethnically 100% something? I am like the poster boy of the United States melting pot. I got so much in me. Man, if, 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 if I were a box of watercolors and you did them all together, it would be just like dirty brown. That's me. So 100% of Deutsch. What's that? Books and watts. German. Oh, man. Yeah. You don't have a choice. You're German. What time in history? Now there you go. Because who owns uh, what? I, I am uh, German, but I could be French. I <laughs> <laughs> forbid. I'll say it's the rain. <laughs> Jewish people were really big on being a hundred percent Jewish. The Samaritans were partially Jewish, half-breeds. They were, they were the leftovers from when the, the Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom. The Assyrians wanted to leave nobody. Well, some people were left, right? Other cultures came in and, and settled and intermingled with those remnant Jews and they became the half-breeds. These are the people when you, you feel like you have to invite them to the wedding reception of your daughter, right? But they're at the table right in front of the kitchen and right next to the toilet, right? It's table 74, way in the back. And you can always tell them because they've got all the plaid sport coats and stuff like that. Verse 6. This mystery, again, don't try to reason it out. It's a mystery. This mystery 
is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. All right, he finally comes right out and says it. But he, before he can come out and say it in verses 1 through 5, he has to show that this is, just, this is not his proclamation. This is God's revelation. So now that he says, hey, God has done all of this, let me just say it clearly. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Luke chapter 2. There's a, a young Jesus and his parents are taking him to the temple to do what is required for all Jewish children, right? These little guys, they have to be circumcised, they have to be named, they have to go make a sacrifice on behalf of this newborn. And as they get to the temple uh, in the courts, there's this old dude that walks over to them that they've never met before. And he says, hey, can I hold your baby? Remember your firstborn? If you've had like five kids, you'd say, yeah, you can keep them too if you want. <laughs> but your firstborn, you're, 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 pretty, you're pretty particular, right? And here's this old doddering guy. And he holds his child and he sings this beautiful song. And it ends with that he is a light to lighten the... And the glory of the people Israel. There's the two things. God has come to bring glory to his people through whom he has brought the redeemer of the entire human race. Yeah. And so, again, it's nothing new. It's, it's, he's just proclaiming that they are what? Fellow heirs. We talked about adoption earlier, and in the Roman law, when you were adopted, you received the name of the family that adopted you, and you were, you were identical to the, to the natural-born children of that family. You would receive as much as they did, that you were now part of the family. And, and if, even though you didn't come through uh, the, the genetic line, you were still an heir. This is what Paul says. These folks are heirs with us. They have just the same amount of grace as we have. They are members of the same body. The body is Christ and the church. So the church is often referred to as the body of Christ, with Christ being the head. The head controls the body, right? And we got all these different members. Paul's going to talk about that. There you go. Uh, Romans, 1 Corinthians, we've got this whole, we're all different members of the same body. And if you're a member of the body, you're a partaker of the promise. Do you see that's, a, again, a passive? Partakers of the promise. We're not graspers or grabbers or earners or meriters. We are partakers. So if you are in your parents' will, it's because you were born. Anybody here ask to be born? We don't ask to be born. We're born. You demand. It's part of our family. This is it with the Christian faith. We're passive. God gives us faith. And what is it? Partakers of a promise, there's no doubt whatsoever, in Christ Jesus, only by Christ, through the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that we're saved not by our own merit or worthiness, but solely by the grace of God connecting us 
is the faith that the Holy Spirit gives. What did we do so far to save ourselves? Nada. Nothing. Absolutely passive. And, and again, think about it. A Pharisee thought he was saved by what? Works. Yeah. So these folks were taught, you follow the rules. You follow the rules. And, and you can earn your way into God's grace. And St. Paul is really knocking that down right now. Verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister. It doesn't say, I decided to become a minister. I chose to be. I worked my way through the seminary. No, what it says is, I was what? Made. Passive. I was made a minister. So this is all God's calling. According to the gift of God's grace. Here you go. Every one of us are, are ministers, are we not? Ministers a servant. Servants is what you, is your, Yours has servant? Yeah. yeah. So a minister is a servant, right? Um, I, I, I was in one church, and it was pretty cool. At the top it had um, the pastor, and it gave the guy's name, and then it had the ministers, all the people of First Lutheran Church. I, I, I kind of like that. That's neat. So we are all ministers according to the gift that God has given. Which is why Paul would go on to say uh, in other letters, if your gift is teaching, then teach. If it's serving, then serve. If it's showing hospitality, do it joyfully. If it's giving, do it generously. Our capital campaign, God lover, I had an elderly lady say, oh, pastor, I wish I could give a million dollars. I said, do you have a million dollars? No, then God wouldn't expect you to give a million dollars. You can never give or use something that God hasn't first given you. Right? That's it. I'm not singing many solos. Although Mary's just kind of wants me to I'm not gifted for that and that's fine I think I've got a, other gifts you've got gifts how do you use them in the life of the church and the world this is and so st. Paul says God was given me the gift and I'm using it which was given me again it's passive by the working of his power in other words the Holy Spirit the working of his power. So, St. Paul's coming to faith was a little different than the rest of us, don't you think? He's on that road to Damascus and God comes and strikes him blind and has that conversation with him. It was a direct revelation. We have uh, the means of grace. As Lutherans, we would call that the means of grace. The, it's the, the mode by which God brings his grace into our lives. And as, as Lutheran Christians, we would say the means of grace are two things. It's <laughs> word, I heard word, and sacrament. Exactly. So, and the power of the sacraments, baptism and communion, are only by the word. So God reveals himself to us in his word. That's his power. Um, 
Romans 1, 16 or 17? 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation, right? So this, God now uses his word to work in our hearts. That's why we hear at baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or in Holy Communion, take, eat, this is my body, this is my blood. So it's not a pastor who's infusing Jesus into the elements. It's God who does this by mystery. Um, verse 8, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, at one time he called himself the least of the, the apostles. Now he's calling himself the least of all the believers. I'm on the lowest rung of the believers. Why would he even say that? He's given God the glory. And who would ever expect someone who murdered Christians and persecuted the church to end up being its primary missionary? You wouldn't expect that. So by human standards, I'm the least of everybody. By God's standards, we're all on the same level. This is what he's trying to get across. Oh, yeah, and, and, and I think he would say to the Jewish people, um, hey, you know what? I did a really good job of following all the ceremonial laws. Maybe I should be the one to tell the Gentiles they don't measure up. But instead he says, you know what? I don't really measure up. But I'm just thankful that I have a God who measured up for me. And now I've got this, this grace that he gives. Yeah. Uh, this grace was given, it's passive again, to preach to the Gentiles. All right, we're going to stop right there. Go to Acts chapter 8 if you have your Bible with you. If you don't have your Bible with you, then don't go to Acts chapter 8. Okay, put your finger there, because I'm going to even move you up a little farther. We need two of them. Acts chapter 13. Well, let's start with that one. Acts chapter 13. I'm going to take you all the way down to verse 44. Acts 13, verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. These would be Jews that aren't believers. They were reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, Jewish people. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So this is the point where Paul says, I've been preaching among the Jews. Most of them are just blowing us off, reviling us. So I might as well use the time God has given to me to go talk to the Gentiles. And this is what he does. In Acts chapter 8, yes, please. Yes. Right. So that exactly. So the Jews have this history behind them, and it's been a 
a revisionary history over the generations, right? So they were called to be chosen to proclaim the word, and then by the time Jesus comes on the scene, they see themselves as chosen as opposed to the world. And when they're looking at things like sacrifices, they have moved from seeing the sacrifice as forgiving sin, but letting them know another sacrifice will be made for all time, that now they're just looking at sacrifice as I'm going to get rid of my sin and I'm going to prove myself worthy. And then you got the, the money changers and you got the buyers and you got the sellers. Boy, it became, a, it became a hot mess. Yeah. I'm reading a book on Jerusalem right now. And after Jesus, before the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed, Jerusalem was, was run by three different warlords that had all this infighting and they were so far away from their original call that it was it was time for Jerusalem to come down and and God used the Romans yeah but you're right it's hard to get rid of that history yeah yeah here you go all all these years I've worn orange on St. Patrick's Day and because my great-great-grandmother was a Protestant. So the last St. Patrick's Day, I had my orange on, and my sister saw me, and she said, hey, you're wearing orange. I said, yep, because we are out of the Protestants. And she said, i got to break some news to you. Your great-great-grandmother died a Protestant. She was born or baptized and married as a Roman Catholic. Her whole family was Catholic. It's the Murphys. They're all Catholic. Now I have to burn my orange sweater. But, but turning history around is not easy, is it? Yeah, especially when it's got this revisionist twist to it. That's a good point. It does, yeah, yeah, it changes. That would be like all of a sudden someone saying, yeah, I think we're going to do Christmas on September 29th. It doesn't work. Um, okay, chapter 8 of Acts. Saul approved of his execution, meaning Stephen. Saul would later become Paul. Paul, Acts 1, yeah. Um, so there was a persecution against the church, and they were all scattered throughout regions of Judea and... Samaria. So the believers, they left. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. The believers left. Go down to verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of? And preached Christ. My goodness, we're preaching the good news of Jesus to the half-breeds. We just moved the crazy cousins from table 74 to table 1. It's amazing. I think we, we read this and we just gloss right over it. I mean, these are people that... I mean, John chapter 4, and Jesus found a Samaritan woman by the well, right? And her comment is, you people say we have to worship in Jerusalem. We worship over here on the mountain. And Jesus said, there's a time and it's even now come. People aren't going to worship in the temple or the mountain. They're going to worship spirit and truth. 
That's it. We're going to worship in spirit and in truth. And this is the time. So it's, you got you to admit, man, it's a crazy time. Things have changed. Now we're going to Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans. It's crazy. And now St. Paul's saying they're all equal. It's got to be a crazy time. Uh, okay, where did I leave off? Oh, uh, the unsearchable riches of Christ beyond human understanding. Verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone, Jews and Gentiles and even Samaritans, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. It's always been the plan. It's starting now to be revealed. It was revealed when Christ came. It was revealed at the Pentecost with the Holy Spirit. And now every single time the word is preached, it's being revealed. Paul's revealing it. Peter's revealing it. Philip and Thomas. Verse 10. Why are we doing this? So that the church, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So that through the church, the church has a mission. The church's mission is to reach out to all the fish in the sea, not to be an aquarium to the few pretty. The church does not exist just for the church. It exists for the world. Even though the world doesn't like it and will persecute it, it's still there for the world. That's why I get nervous when I see denominations and, and moving from the word of God into the ways of the world. And that's, that's just dangerous, isn't it? So it would be as if Paul would have said, yeah, well, okay, let's make sure that the Gentiles don't eat any pork. Which would allow people to start thinking, I got to do certain things to be saved. Yeah. So as churches, we need to preach the word in its truth and its purity. Yeah. Uh, I think I mentioned this last week. Milwaukee Lutheran High School Association, their tagline is wonderful. Anybody know their tagline? We teach truth. Which for many in the world would say, whose truth? We all have our own truth. Right? But truth is truth. Right? I mean, there's, truth is truth. It's just the way God set things up. And, and Paul's saying the same thing. You know, I could be a little bit more popular if I'd preach what you guys want to hear, but I'm preaching what you need to hear. And the manifold wisdom of God, again, it's not this Gnostic thing. God did the seemingly impossible, didn't he? He saved all people. That it might be made known, a divine revelation, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Heaven and earth are going to rejoice over the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Paul would later say to the Philippians that every knee would bow down. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal purpose. 
the, the idea of saving the world through the cross and the open tomb was not an afterthought. It, the plan was there before God created anything. The plan was there. So people might ask, why would God create a world that he knew would fall and that he would have to come at such an extravagant price and save it? Why didn't he just not create it? That's an option. But he couldn't do that because God is love. Love has a target. We're the target. Well, then why didn't he destroy it and recreate it after there was sin? Well, that wouldn't be love either. No, it still, it still existed. Noah and his family was still there. Or he could have just created us in such a way that we would not have a free will and that we would just continuously obey him. But robots don't really love back, do they? He gave us the opportunity to reflect love. So that left him with one choice. Know that the world was going to fall and that he was going to have to come into it. And that's the choice of love. That's the mystery that St. Paul is revealing by the gift of the Holy Spirit. So his, his plan from the beginning and, and the plan played out. Abraham, you're going to be the father of many people. From you is going to come the Savior. The Savior comes. He does all the work. He leaves the church with the mission of people like Paul and Peter and Ussens to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's it. St. Paul would say uh, what the church should be saying. I know nothing except Christ and him crucified. That's our job. Kid in school said, Pastor, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. I know, but, but what do you do? I only see you on Sunday. What do you do? I said, I only have two jobs. Preach the word and administer the sacraments. Wow. I said, you want to be pastor? Because it pays good and you only work like a couple hours on a Sunday morning. And oh, really? And then there was an adult there and said, what do you mean that's all you do? I said, really? That's it, right? Anything I do should be done to preach the word, right? That's it. I should always be preaching the word. That's my job. Preach the word. If it's a Bible class, confirmation class, if it's a conversation, if it's counseling, if it's administration, that's it. It's all I do is, is preach the word. So now that kid's in the ministry and he's really ticked off at me. <laughs> Only kidding. The eternal purpose realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose was for us to have an eternal relationship with God. We messed that up, but now it's been realized through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Boldness and access, two things. Boldness is confidence. Access means a pathway. We can go to the Heavenly Father because of Jesus. He's opened the door. I used to say to the kids, <laughs> think of it being like a telephone, and Jesus has strung the lines for us to talk to the Heavenly Father. They have no clue what a telephone line is anymore. So Jesus is, it doesn't really work. Jesus is the wireless access to that. It doesn't work. This is why I don't teach confirmation anymore. First wireless. So we have access with confidence. We don't, 
we don't approach our God in fear. Every other religion, you approach your God in fear, whether you're offering a sacrifice or whatever. You, you, we approach our God in awe, but not fright. We use the word fear, but it's more reverence than fright. We're not frightened of our God. We stand in awe of him and his magnificence, but we're not, we, we're not afraid of him. 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So don't get all wound up about, oh man, if Paul wouldn't have come here, he wouldn't have been in prison. I said, no, don't worry about it. I'm doing fine. As a matter of fact, he probably had a PS. I just converted a jailer. <laughs> he was still preaching the word. He was all right. For this reason, verse 14, back to verse 1. For this reason, the unity thing, I bow my knees before the Father. I honor and submit from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. The Greek word for family is very similar to that of father. Families emanate from fathers, right? Patriarchal look. Every family, Jew or Gentile or even the crazy half-breed Samaritan, every family derives its name from the Father. Everybody is on earth because of the Father. And if the Father has created everybody, and if the Father is the embodiment of love, let's figure it out. Then he loves everybody. He loves everybody. that according to the, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So again, according to the riches of his glory, the glory of God is the cross. You know, we, we look at the cross as like, oh, how many times haven't you heard, oh, the devil, the devil rejoiced when Jesus died on the cross? Uh, no. The, the Passion of the Christ movie gets it right. Jesus dies and the devil screams in torment, right? Because he knows the sin has been satisfied. Guilt has been removed. And, and it's the defeat of the devil. That's the glory of God is the cross. The resurrection is proof positive that Jesus' sacrifice was accepted by the Heavenly Father. Uh, so that you can be strengthened with power through His Spirit. So strengthened in faith, hope, and love through word and sacrament. Where? In your inner being, in your heart, in your soul. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Well, that's verse 17. Uh, that Christ may dwell. If you dwell somewhere, that's your place. So that you're not just acquainted with Christ, Christ lives in you. So if the doctor says, here's some medicine for you, this will really make you better, and you take that medicine and you leave it on the kitchen table, but you never take it. It's near you, but it's not in you. What good is it? And Paul's saying, you know what? The Holy Spirit dwells in you. you. Now you'll be strengthened. 
faith, hope, and love. And that now you're rooted and grounded in what? Love. Paul said to the Corinthians, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Do you ever wonder? It's kind of like, shouldn't faith be like a little above love? And here's the thing, two reasons. Jesus came out of love, but only, only love will exist forever. When you get to heaven, do you need any more hope or faith? No, you got it, right? You know. Boy, I hope I get to see the 29th of September, 2021. I don't have to hope anymore. I'm there. So when we're in heaven, the gift of love is what continues to exist. It's always there. And it's the love of Christ that saved us. Um, 18, uh, and that we may have strength and the ability to comprehend, understand, with all the saints, all the believers, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all fullness of God. So the, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, the, you just can't measure God's love. Yeah, you can't, right. Can't measure the sky. And to know, and the word know here is more like to experience, not just a head knowledge, but a life experience that you would know that you would experience the love of Christ that, that goes way beyond my ability to comprehend. And he uses the word knowledge here to oppose Gnosticism. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I love that line. Filled with the fullness of God. Don't be filled with yourself. Did you ever heard that? Oh, that guy, he's full of himself. What does that mean? Yeah, it means his family has no arrogance because he's got it all. Yeah, he's all about himself. No, we're going to be filled with the fullness of God with His grace, His mercy, with His love, which is never-ending. So faith leaves us lacking nothing that's needful, lacking anything that's needful. Uh, verse 20, Now to Him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, I wonder sometimes when we pray to the Lord, if the Lord says, and that's all? That's it? That's all you're asking for? Come on, lay it on here. Pray bigger or go home. Just bring it. Empty your heart. I'm just going to keep filling it. Keep going. Because he can do more than we could ask or even imagine. Why? How does he do that? According to the power at work within us. Passive. His work, not mine. And then he winds it up, to him be glory in the church. In other words, don't glorify me because I'm in prison for the work of Jesus. Oh, it might be easy for you to say, oh, that Paul, he's the great. No, 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 no. This is all about giving glory 
to God where? In the church and in Christ. Jesus came here to save humans so that he could glorify the Father. The church exists for the same reason, to reach out to humans with the good news so that the Father can be glorified. It's not about, oh, look how many buildings we have. <gasps> look at the size of our budget. Oh, my. You should see how beautiful our church is. It's not it. It's not the goal of the church. The goal of the church is to share Jesus. That's it. And then to grow in faith. How long? All generations. And even beyond that, forever and ever. So as long as this world exists, and then forever in the world to come. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. Have a good day, and God bless.